Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast or how to get connected, go to BethelCleveland.com. Open your Bibles to Romans 1, verse 17. This week we're, we're shifting our focus a little bit, still on flourish. Like I was saying, we're doing flourish all year. Everyone say, all year. All year. We're going to learn how to flourish together and finding different ways that Scripture speaks to us about flourishing. If you're not sure what flourish is, Google it. It's got a great, uh, uh, one of the, one of the I forget, I think it was Webster. I was reading great definition of flourish. I mean, it's just that it's, it's about a culture of abundance. It's about an atmosphere that believes for the best in one another. Think about it. We, I mean, would you like the person, three or four people down here to be blessed enormously of God? Yeah, yeah, you would. And they're hoping the same thing for you. And so we're believing that God will touch us. That blessing could be financial, it could be physical, it could be relational, it could be so many different things. But God has called us to live a lifestyle in, in, in modern terms to live a positive leaning lifestyle. That regardless of what happens, we know stuff happens. It's part of being on this side of heaven. But heaven has invaded earth through Jesus Christ. And through that invasion, empowerment has been released to the followers of Jesus Christ to do some pretty extraordinary things. You know, I was reading a book this week. Actually, it was mine. I do that periodically. I, I have to remind myself of things. And, and I, I got to page 12, as far as I got. I got to page 12. And you'd think I would know and remember all this, but this is five years old now. So I'm like, yeah, that's, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's good. But listen to this. I'm convinced that anything we do in faith moves heaven and expands God's kingdom on earth. Our spiritual power even increases more if there's a symphony of agreement with those we love. When we take up the staff, the mantle, the call to faith, all of heaven moves to open gates and send solutions. Did you hear that? I could really end at the end of that, except I want to include some scripture too. But it says, when you take up the staff, the mantle, whatever you want to call that, the call of God, call of faith, all of heaven moves to open the gates and send solutions. So then I put a one word sentence after that with an explanation point. Move! Move! Move, do something. Believe God for something outside of yourself. And you will automatically be fulfilling your destiny and discovering your path. So you don't have to seek everywhere. I'm, I love the little, you know, uh, tests you take, you know, to find out are you a, a one, a 10, a five? Are you a D, an I, an S, or C? Are you, you now it's, you know, life languages, there was that. And, and now it's, uh, what is it now? Enneagram, Enneagram, you know, it's about 100 years old, but it's, we're using it now. And are you a nine with, a, with, a, with, an, with a, a, a one wing? Is that appropriate? Is that right? Yeah, okay, see, I said it right. Are you a five with a six wing, you know? And you're like, oh, and you're curious about it. You could get, and you get understanding about yourself. But there's nothing better than moving in faith. When you move in faith, you discover who God is and you discover who you are. I could prove that on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus said, who do men say that I am? What would you say? <laughs> I mean, they're like, well, some say, you know, they're taking the literal. They say, some say, uh, you're Elijah, the prophet. Some say you're 
John the Baptist resurrected and come back. You're a prophet or whatever. They're going around giving all these clues. Peter speaks up in his unique way that he blurts things out, you know, and he says, you're, you're uh, what did he say? You're, you're, I know you're the Christ, but you're Christ, I think it's the son of God. You're Christ, the son of God, or one of those. And as soon as he says that, I mean, scripture doesn't give commentary properly on the emotion of the moment, but I, this is how I imagine it. And Chosen's given me liberty to imagine things about the spirit. But I imagine Jesus going, <laughs> I mean, this is Peter speaking. So Jesus isn't like, well said, son. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. You know, the 1950 Jesus did that. But this one is, is the one we didn't know. He's actually engaging and so I imagine Jesus going, oh, Jesus. <laughs> Peter, Peter, Peter. Uh, you know, natural things have not revealed that to you, but only from my Father in heaven. In other words, he's saying, you didn't get that on your own. That came from somewhere else. And Peter's probably like, yeah, man, I had no idea what you were looking for, but... but it just kind of came to me like that. I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, a God-inspired thought. It, it really helps you embrace how God speaks to you, a God-inspired thought. You folks have those all the time. God-inspired thoughts, and you, sometimes we give the glory to self. Well, I just had a good idea. I'm going to do that. I'm going to be a millionaire. I mean, you know, whatever you think. But the truth is, God is inspiring you way above your pay grade, way above my pay grade, way above my gray matter. Trust me, there's some problems up there, but God moves through us in very, very powerful ways. And so we're learning to move in faith. And I love that when I, when I said that in scripture, but I didn't finish the last part of it. It says this, it says, what I read in the book, it says, uh, you'll be automatically fulfilling your destiny and discovering your path, which is what Peter did. When Peter understood who Jesus was, you're Christ, the son of God. When, you, when he said that, then he was identified as you are the rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And I know everyone's debated what it's about, but it was, it was focused around what Peter, who Peter was and what Peter said and what Peter did in that moment of crisis where everyone else was giving answers, but he gave the right one. And so what that means is that when you understand who Jesus is, you're gonna understand who you are. I'm a rock. Things are gonna be built upon me. I'm not just somebody who's a follower. There's nothing wrong with being a follower. I follow Jesus but there's something unique being done in my life. I have a destiny in God. Sometimes it's one of the most powerful things you can speak in a mirror, and I do that. You have a destiny. You have an identity that's unique to you. You've been shaped and modeled in the very image of Christ. I need to hear that periodically. You're not an old angry, angry man. Sometimes, you're not an old angry man. You are being renewed by the spirit of God. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you. Did you know you need to hear that? Sometimes you read it, you go, oh, that's really true. And you have a moment, a moment in God. But sometimes you need to repeat it out because there's something about it entering your audio canal that has greater power because it's in your voice. You're speaking those things which you think may not be as though they were. You're declaring to the dead bones of Steve Witt, 
come on bones, rise up, rise up. And you'll hear a little rattling inside. Those bones haven't been spoken to in a long time. You speak to those bones, rise up. When they rise up, they come together. Then you speak life. You prophesy life into yourself. David encouraged himself in the Lord. We are called also to speak truth to ourselves continually. It will build yourself up in your most holy faith. What it says right after that is it says, so you automatically fulfill your destiny, discover your path. Your faith movements vibrate the heavens. When, when you decide, I'm gonna speak things, you know, people always minimize who they are. I, I hear it all the time. Well, you know, I, I'm just kind of new in the Lord or, you know, I've been around. I'm just like a servant of the Lord. They have all these things and I get what they're doing, you know. The, it, there's a humility in that, you know, and saying that, you know, I'm really nobody and I get that. You know, my righteousness is a filthy rags. It was, but now it is. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So you, you, you think differently. You're an eagle, you're not a chicken. I'm so glad Benjamin Franklin had this idea that the national symbol should be the turkey. I'm so glad that the eagle won out. Yeah. Well, you imagine going into battle, come on, turkeys. <laughs> We're eagles. You're airborne. Get out there and fight. Aren't you glad that's not the U.S. airborne? It's not the U.S. airborne is not the U.S. groundborne? Ground limited? No, when the Air Force shows up or the Marines show up or whatever, you're, you're sensing something beyond the natural. You're sensing something that's gonna be powerful that transcends where we are. Especially if you're going into a major war of some sort around the world, you're glad you have American soldiers, men and women that are out there that have devoted themselves to that. You need to be one of those soldiers in Jesus Christ that people can look to and hope for in you. Someone said something to me this week, just off the cuff. I was meeting with someone at Panera, as I do every week, and uh, I chatted with them uh, just about some things coming up, and they, and they kind of said, You're, well, look, look, at, look at you on that. And I'm like, why, 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 what are you talking about? Well, a year ago, we talked about you, that you were gonna do this, and now you're doing it. In my mind, I thought, well, yeah. Oh, isn't that what you do? You talk about something you want to do in life and then you kind of align yourself to it and you set up some maybe micro goals along the way to kind of, kind of get, your, 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 get, get a measurement of some sort of where you're going, a schematic of where you're going. But when you arrive there, you, you're thankful, but you're probably not surprised. You're like, yeah. This is what I intended to do. I intended to get my master's degree or my bachelor's degree. I intended to travel or I intended to do whatever it is, uh, uh, be a singer or whatever it might be, you know, and you move toward that. You align yourself. You don't just sit back and go, well, Lord, if it's your will, I'm going to do it. Lord, I'm just a humble person. I love the old joke I used to hear growing up in our church, and it's probably not appropriate right now, but hey, this is live stream, right? Or the lady that gets up and sings on Sunday morning a special song, you know, and she's singing away, you know, and she goes and sits down in the front row, you know, and, uh, and someone says, great, great song, that was powerful. And she goes, oh, it's not me, it's the Lord. And the person said, well, it wasn't that good. <laughs> we encourage one another, we, oh, it's just the Lord. It's like, you know, if it was the Lord, it'd been a little better than that, I think. But uh, hey, it was good though, it was good. So let's get rid of false humility 
And let's embrace what God has spoken over us. When you do that simple step, you are on your way to a productive, fruitful, flourishing, amazing adventure called life in Jesus Christ. You say, but yeah, but you don't know what just happened at work. I'm telling you, forget about that for a moment. Those things will always be there. We will always encounter various trials according to scripture. But what it says in the word in, in Romans chapter one, verse 17, I'm picking this up because it's the core of what I wanna share these next three Sundays today, next Sunday, and the Sunday after that. Is a life in faith, a, a faith that flourishes. That when you begin to believe what God said and, and not think some, somehow people, I used to get this when I was a kid. I used to hear this in a lot of sermons because I was baptized when I was eight years old. You know, and the Holy Spirit came upon me very powerfully when I was 10. I mean, I was really young. And so I've heard a lot of sermons in my life, you know. And, and I've heard sermons that, that just, that rebuked the concept of being a grandchild in God. Now, nowadays, it seems to be a favorable role. If you're a child, it's like, you know, clean your room. <laughs> Don't eat sweets. Grandchildren, like, here, you want another cookie? I mean, you know, it's just a different... <laughs> so... Outside of that, in the 1950s and 60s, it's like there was a lesser role. I mean, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not a grandchild. You're a child of God. Grandchildren may not get part of the inheritance. Children get all of the inheritance. Naturally, it's the way it should be. Spiritually, it definitely is. And the inheritance was given to Jesus. When you're in Christ Jesus, you inherit who he is. You inherit his righteousness. You say, oh, you're saying you're like Jesus? I'm saying he sees, I am seen by the Father through the, through the template of Jesus. His shed blood allows me to be seen in a unique way. I align myself with Jesus Christ. Therefore, a whole world opens up to me. And if you align yourself with this and you begin to take the abundance of grace and the gift, it was not earned, the gift of righteousness that is only in Christ Jesus, you take that in your life. It says, you shall reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. I wanna reign in life. I don't even know what that fully means, but it sounds good to me. You know, I want, I want to be up in every situation. I want, I want to feel like, yeah, even though things are going wrong right now, I am not going to confess myself into mourning over the wrongness. That could become a root of bitterness. And once bitterness comes, it's all, it's all over, man. It's destructive. It gives you physical, mental, emotional problems of all kinds. Forgive people, release them. They don't deserve it. Forgive them, release them. I just talked to someone yesterday talking to me on the phone and it was, they, were, they were wronged in a major way. I said, you know what, we just, you gotta release them for the sake of the relationship. But what if they never come back and apologize? What if we never get this straight? It doesn't matter. It, on this side, you're free. In fact, every time they come, every time the devil brings you, them to your mind to, to get you upset or worried or concerned or to feel that anger rising up inside, I advise you to pray for them. Man, that aggravates hell. I want to spend the rest of my life aggravating hell. When someone wrongs you and you go, Lord, I, I admit, it's hard sometimes. Bless. Well, teach them something first. No, 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 forget that. Delete. Um, 
Bless Frank. And help him understand that what he did was wrong. See, this is the way we think. I'm telling you, if you just give it up, you say, well, that's not being, nowadays it's all about being true to yourself. I don't want to be dishonest. <laughs> Actually, scripture tells us to speak things that are not as though they were. It's called faith. Faith is not dishonesty. Faith is another reality that you're maybe not seeing. You can speak things like, I speak healing to my body. Yeah, but I hear you're having surgery this week. It doesn't matter. I speak that healing is going through. Does that mean you're gonna be healed before you go into surgery? I don't know what God's gonna do through this, but I speak the power and presence of Jesus Christ into my life all this week as I approach this surgery. When you do that, it reprograms your mind. Your mind has to be trained. And you better hurry up because AI is coming. We're gonna be mindless when AI gets here. Why do anything? My robot knows everything. What are you gonna do when your robot knows more than you know? Let's put it this way. What if the robot knows more about you than you know? I, mean, I was watching two documentaries on it last night. We are about to experience one of the greatest challenges in human history through AI. I know some of you might disagree with that. I, I, I think it's, it's as much as the internet had took time to have to shift, they're saying now within one year, we're gonna feel the weight of the, of the moral question involving AI or artificial intelligence. It's gonna, it's gonna blow, it's like 50 times more powerful than the impact that the internet and social media had on culture worldwide. You think about that, what it's done with culture. I know there's good and there's bad, but there's been a lot of bad, a lot of bad. I mean, Internet's the number one place for pornography. It's, uh, I mean, there's, there's good things can be created for evil. What if AI turns against us, you know? What if AI develops themselves into self-awareness and self-thought? What, what's going to happen? We've all seen the movies. That was cool, man. Like, that won't ever happen, but <laughs> probably not to way up in like 2023 or something. <laughs> well, what are you gonna be as a believer in Jesus Christ when AI knows more than you do in, in profound ways and is able to express emotion or mimic it, whatever, make decisions about what it deems to be the right decision for you to make. I mean, it's something for a later date. I really wanna talk about it because I think it's gonna be very important. I feel like we're all uh, watching these things over here when a huge thing is passing us up over here that's going to cause great moral uh, confusion in the days ahead. So it's important for us to be solid in faith. This thing will rattle you. And so there are things in this side of heaven that will come and rattle you and you must stand firm in faith. In scripture it says this, you, you know I was gonna get there, Romans 1 verse 17 said this, for it is, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So this is a journey, it's not just today's faith, faith to faith to faith to faith. There's Sunday faith, which is pretty high. I just went to church, man, I can take over the world. Then there's Monday. Monday's like, what did the pastor say yesterday? I don't remember. It was good, but I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Some of us come in Sunday like, please. 
hook me up. I'm a Tesla that's called 10 miles over. Where's the charging machine, you know? Sing the song I like. Can I put in a request? <laughs> okay, woo, yeah, yeah, praise God. If you miss a week, yeah, we're gonna come after you. It says this, from faith to faith, as it is written, listen to this, because this is repeated four times in scripture. It's inferred something like 38 times in scripture. The just, that's you, the just shall live by faith. The just is slang for justified. Those who have been justified, who've been saved, who've come into an agreement with the Lord. I'm gonna follow Jesus. I've made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. When you do that and your life begins to express the fruit of the Spirit, which is the sign of salvation, you begin to look more like Jesus and act more like Jesus. Whether you want to or not, you just do that. It's, it's part of hanging out with them. The just shall live by faith. This is a quote right out of Habakkuk. Habakkuk, the Old Testament minor prophet, was being invaded and he was in stress from the Chaldean invasion. Chaldeans were not friendly people. If they invaded this country like around the stress that would in, be incurred, I mean, think of the stress that's been incurred over the, I mean, right now, seriously, states are considering taking away parental rights in order to allow the state to decide and, and literally help your child, even if they need to go to another state to get transgender therapy and or surgery. Because they're putting it out there now. They're just testing the waters. You do, parents do not own their children. No, we don't own them, but we're stewards of them. And don't get close to my kids Amen. if you have evil intent. Amen. And especially my grandkids if you have evil intent. Why? Because I am a protector. I'm not some kind of patriarchal, kind of uh, brutal guru kind of a guy. I'm a normal American Christian that doesn't want to see slippage happen throughout our country of moral understanding. And so when you read this, just shall live by faith, this is a challenge. Habakkuk was feeling that. That's called delayed pause. You missed the moment. <laughs> Chaldean invasion. And this is where he says, the just shall live by faith. The righteous man who puts it, and woman who puts their trust in the Lord will live. That's what it means. You will live. You may die a martyr, but you will live. You're going, you're going to go through this thing and you're going to leave an amazing legacy for those that are behind you. Do not shrink back. As it says in Hebrews chapter 10, I have no pleasure in those that shrink back. Do not shrink back. You, how do you know that's related to faith? Because the next verse is by faith, by faith, by faith, it moves right into Hebrews chapter 11. The substance, faith, is the substance of things hoped for. So hope has to be there first. Faith comes out of hope. You hope in faith. Faith is a believism that comes upon you where hope doesn't have that. Hope's hoping. But faith is an assurity. Like, this is gonna happen. God's gonna do something powerful. God's gonna move in 1985. The Lord gave me a word during a week-long prayer thing that we did in downtown Cleveland where over 100 churches participated, top of a holiday, and it was called Quake on the Lake. The Lord told me to call it Quake on the Lake. I, I, you know, I'm just telling you this. It's, I was it's like 20, what was I, 20, was it 85, 85, 28 years old. So 28 years old. Uh, uh, and, and I, you know, I got on the radio station, the Christian radio, which would be like fish now, you know, and they said, well, why'd you call it Quake on the Lake? And I said, because we want, to, we are praying to shake a city. He's, they said, do you believe there's gonna be a literal earthquake? And I didn't think about it. I just blurted it out like in faith. I said, 
I said, yes, I think it's going to be a sign that God's going to move in the city in a powerful way. All right. And it was one of those things, as soon as you say it, your, your personal Steve Witt side of you says, whoa, no, no, pull that back, you know. <laughs> but I let it stand because back then, you know, I think, oh, how many people are really listening to that? Or, you know, it's on radio. There's no live stream here or anything like that. Well, what happened was, is that three months later, in January of 1986, uh, the largest earthquake to ever hit the greater Cleveland area hit was 5.0 on the Richter scale. A radio station called me up. People started calling me from all over the country and saying, hey, you come and tell the story of what happened. I'm thinking, nothing happened. I just said something and then it happened. It was weird, you know. There's something powerful about faith that once it leans in so far, it pulls you to speak things you don't even want to say. Because it's living a story by faith. Think of Martin Luther, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther. 500 years ago, we just celebrated, what, 2018 or something like that. 500 years since the Reformation. Catholic priest who one day realized the Catholic Church was abusing their doctrine. They were telling people that you needed to pay, and it wasn't exactly like this, but it kind of was. And I want to give benefit to the Catholic Church, medieval times and everything, but... But this, they said, you know, if you, if you give a bigger offering, this is reflected in some charismatic circles even today. Give that $1,000 offering, there's a $1,000 blessing coming to you, you know? I mean, and it, they take it out of the Bible where it says, by what measure you use is the measure. This is not about, about bribing God or, you know, yeah, okay, I'll give you $1,000. Now, what are you gonna do, you know? <laughs> yeah, don't do that with God. You sow in faith because of who he is. But you know the principle. Inside, you know the principle. If I sow, I'm going to reap. I don't know how I'm going to reap that. Could be in money. Could be in my child coming to the Lord. I don't know. It, it, what it is, is not God up there tab, tabulating all these things. Like, okay, what did Steve give this year? Okay, well, okay, what do we got back there for, for $5,000? You know, what did, what did he? It's like being, you know, at the, the game center, you know. And okay, you, you're, you can, anything on that middle shelf, you can have. Well, I want top shelf. Yeah. You got to get more. You give more, you'll get top shelf stuff. It's not like that. What it is, is when you give, it's actually a kingdom principle. It's a kingdom principle that recalibrates heaven. When you give, I'm talking about heaven over your life. It recalibrates it and it releases blood. It's the way the kingdom works. When you do kingdom principles, you get kingdom results. And, and money would be a part of that. I mean, if you're sowing in faith, some people just give because they want other people to know they give or whatever, I don't know. You know, and GoFundMes and all that. Well, I gave a thought, you know, you can put yourself as anonymous. And, you know, it's just, it's crazy now. But, but really you give and you don't have to be super secret about it. Well, I, I don't want to tell anything because I want to make sure I get my reward. I understand that. You can pull scripture out for that too. But the truth is, it's about what's going on in your heart. If your heart is set in the right way, I'm telling you, seeds are being planted and fruit will come forward. So 1985, I, 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 I spoke that. I spoke it out. And the Lord told me, and I even said it. I mean, the Lord, it's like I'm prophesying over myself. And I said, in Cleveland, we'll experience the, 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 the greatest revival could ever, ever experience, you know. That was, that was, I counted yesterday, 38 years ago. And what I felt the Lord promised has not yet happened. 
But I've told that story over and over again. I tell it on purpose because I want you to know we are believing in this testimony that God is going to touch the city in a very powerful way. You know, we had a decade of prophetic slogans from the Cavaliers up until their time of winning. I mean, you know, it was just, it was, you know, one for the king. I mean, it, just, it went on and on. I mean, it was, it was so weird that actually I have a, uh, an article that said the Jewish community in Cleveland complained about all the Jesus-y quotes. None of them said Jesus, but they felt like spiritual quotes and they did win in the end, you know. And so you look at that, you go, what is that? What is that? I'm telling you, God is involved in culture all around us to give us hints in order to stir our faith because he knows if you move in faith, mountains will be moved. Your life will be transformed. What we believe is actually called our faith. So the just shall live by faith. Martin Luther, of course, the Catholic churches where you, you pay me money, you know, you're gonna, get, you're gonna get the fruit of that, you know. And he just didn't, he thought that's just not right. It's right about the same time with Gutenberg where people were starting to get more Bibles because the, the large printing press that had not been there before, it was, it was epic transition and really the kickoff to the greatest renaissance the world has seen up to this point out of Italy. And so he steps up and says, the just, this was his verse, the just shall live by faith, not by what coins you put in the offering. I mean, the, the thief on the cross had, could do nothing for Jesus, nothing. Yet Jesus said today, you will be with me in paradise. What did he say? What was that word? Let's have everyone pray that, that sentence. He said, Lord, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? <laughs> did he even understand who Jesus was? I don't know. He was sensing something on the cross and the guy next to him. And he made one comment and Jesus turned and thought, that's enough right there. Right there, that gets you into the kingdom of God. Woo! He said this day, you imagine that? Who's the guy coming with Jesus in heaven? They're all looking out, coming down the pathway to the heavenly Jerusalem. I don't even know if there is one, but let's say there is. We're in the chosen mode now. We can do anything. <laughs> Jesus walking down with another guy. Who's that other guy? I don't know. Did he win someone to the Lord, you know, right before he got on the cross? You know, well, other people, but they would have been here instantly. Who's that guy? Jesus, who's the guy with you? That's the thief on the cross. I mean, he's evangelizing with nails in his hands. It's a faith thing. It's a, all, that, all that criminal had to have was one faith, one connection, one understanding. Boom, he was in the kingdom of God. Now, here's my thoughts on what we've been going through. I got a few minutes left. I've been reviewing our flourishing stuff and, and here's what it all boils down to. Repentance is alignment to a new destination and path. Repentance is an alignment Repentance means you've aligned yourself with Christ. Repentance doesn't mean saying a little prayer. That can help. It can, it, it's good to confess. Believing and confessing is in Scripture. But there's no magic in that prayer if it's not engaging with faith. So repentance is an alignment to a new destination and path. Boom, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's painful. It's a painful transformation. That's the stuff written with the asterisks and the fine print, the footnote of your salvation. This could be a painful journey. <laughs> and, it, and it was throughout the centuries. So it's painful. It enters us into the Jewish story because the Jewish story is a template of, pursue, of being delivered and pursuing the Lord. And it, by the way, it doesn't end very well, really, uh, the first round. 
And it's a picture of our story too. Sometimes it takes a second round. It takes a second generation of you to really understand who God is and what he's doing. Uh, I got this out of the past three months that we've been preaching this, uh, Jay and I uh, particularly. We need deliverance. We really do. Power of Jesus is the only thing that can deliver us. We cry out, he responds. He raises up a person to help us get delivered. In the Old Testament with the Jews, it was Moses. New Testament, it's Jesus. Jesus is the deliverer. He begins to lead us toward his promises. This is the Christian life. Coming out of Egypt, which we read in scripture in the Pentateuch, is all about us coming out of darkness into light. Let me tell you something. The culture that is expressed in America today in the church might be a little bit off because the culture is not to reflect, the Christian kingdom is not to reflect culture. It ministers into culture. It may wear the clothes of culture, but the heart is very different and the operation is very different in what they do. And if you're not standing out, if churches are seeking seeker sensitivity, they're gonna be seeking how to make people feel better about coming into a building on Sunday morning rather than the overt move of the Holy Spirit that breaks the heart and causes you to cry out to God. Now, repentance comes out from that. So in case you're wondering, we're never gonna back down on that, uh, at least while I'm here. <laughs> We believe in what the Holy Spirit does. We believe that the Holy Spirit convicts and breaks and touches our hearts, gives us massive opportunities over and over again in life to come and follow Jesus Christ because it's a life that is a faith life and the just shall live by faith. So the journey strips us as we go. This is in Psalm 105, you can read it, but as you, as you go through this journey, it actually pulls things off of you and it's gradual, by the way. These, these uh, words that you use when you come into the kingdom uh, slowly disappear. The drinks that you drink when you come into the kingdom slowly uh, dissipate. The, the things and people you hang out with slowly shift. Why? Because you're, you're getting the mind of Christ. You've had it, but you're getting an understanding and your emotions, your mind, will, and emotions are beginning to be aligned with the purposes of Jesus Christ. Resistance of it doesn't work out well. It's a shaping, crafting journey. Submission to that journey brings developed trust. Winning still brings challenge, strongholds, and monsters are along the way. Truth and faith brings possession. Lack of it brings lack. In some ways, warring transforms into ruling and reigning. So there's a time you're not warring as much. You're now learning how to govern what God has given you. That's the template of the Jews. We have to fight to unveil our promised land. Milk and honey awaits us, but it is still lodged in a temporal world. What you do counts for something in the eternity, internal realm. It ends with well done, good and faithful servant. So I got a question for you as we get ready to end here. And I'll probably go deeper in this next Sunday. What energizes and glues you to that vision? I'm a Jew. You are, Romans says that. I'm a Jew walking through a Jewish story with a Jewish God. Jesus was Jewish, you know. And we're learning the ways through what we read in scripture to live a life. So what glues you to that vision? Or do you even know that vision? Do you even know that that was true? 
What gets you up in the morning when things aren't going well? Why are we tested in this journey? What do we do? Let me just finish with these verses here. Romans 5 says this, and I'll give you little snippets out of it. Romans 5 says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. The justified should be feeling overwhelming peace through whom we also have access by faith into the grace in which we stand. See, we're called to stand. How do you do that? You need grace, you need grace. Bring in the grace. How do I get it? Faith. Believe God to be with you every moment. He will cause you to stand. He will give you the things to say. He will take you through this. He will get you on the other side and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Here's one out of James 1. I love this one. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. How many of you have done that this week where a big trial came on your life? You said, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Woo! My life was so boring with fun and goodness. And yeah, I needed a good trial just to shake things up a little bit. You know? So he says, count it all joy when you fall. It's like you don't naturally walk into the trial. Some people do. We call them mentally uh, challenged if you walk into your own trial. It says, but when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, wait, this is a testing of my faith? My faith's gonna be tested. The testing of my faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work. I mean, you ever know that? You ever, you ever read that scripture? You're in the middle of a trial. You're like, okay, all right, I'm joyful. <laughs> is that what it is? I'm happy. But see, the Lord sees the heart. He's like, we're being tested here. And you're going to need a little more time in order to bring the authenticity of that joy up to the surface. And that time is called patience. By the way, never pray for patience. It comes instantly. That's difficult. Let patience have its perfect work. You go through something. I mean, in a sense, I've been patient over a word that was given in 1985. Lord, is it 2023? <laughs> have patience. Have patience. We're learning patience. Why? Because it's meant to be perfected that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's my sign. It's over. <laughs> Did you get that? You, your faith is going to be tested in trial. The trial is meant to bring patience. And the patience is meant, I was telling, talking to someone this week who's going through a terrible trial. And I, and I you know, I don't treat that lightly. I don't, I, I know what trials are. I really do. I've been two cancer battles and heart, open heart surgery and things like that. Those are trials. And you go through that and you're believing God for certain things. And he shows up in different ways. It's amazing. You learn patience. If you ever had medical stuff, you learn patience. My CAT scan was done today. When are you going to know? Well, they should know by next week. They give you six days to develop patience. And you don't. You're on there every day checking, you know, checking, checking, calling up. Hey, it said six days at seven. Yeah, yeah, we're a little bit busy here. It will come up, but it's going to come up. I want to know. Patience, patience. What is it developing? And I told this person, I said, here's my theory. I might be able to prove this scripturally, and if I can, I will. But patience is something more than just here. Saying, yeah, I'm being patient. 
You know, we call it chill. You're so chill. How can you be so chill in the midst of all this? I'm just learning. I'm learning. I'm, I'm, I'm imbibing this, man. I'm learning how to, how to have the joy of the Lord in the midst of difficult situations. And as you move in that patience, it does something in heaven. It does something in heaven. It says, it says until it's perfect and complete. Maybe that's why Jesus says, well done. Maybe the capstone of all your patience is the day you stand before the Lord. And you hear him say, excellent. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Let's all stand together. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. You can help us reach others by investing today at BethelCleveland.com slash give.